so what we can easily get stuck on is uh, is either trying to apply a text too quickly. You know, we read something and we want to very quickly apply it to our life or find out what it means. And we can skip the whole wrestling and, and <clears throat> leaving things kind of undefined for a while, especially when this is just the beginning of the, of the book or the letter. That's what I've been trying to hit on, is that the letters to the seven churches are just the beginning of the letter to the seven churches. Right? So it, it wouldn't be surprising if in the beginning of the letter, we kind of feel like we don't, we don't fully know everything he's saying. Because there's other things he's going to say that will complement the letter further on. So when we, we were talking about this question of in, in Ephesian, uh, in Ephesian, the Ephesian church in chapter 2, what, is, what was their first love? We talked a lot about, well, uh, maybe it is their love, their love for God, their love uh, of God, their love towards other people. But it's really undefined here. And that's kind of a little bit of what I wanted us to realize. That it's, he doesn't really speak to us directly. He's speaking to them. And they, they'll know what he's talking about, but we're a little bit out of the loop. And so it, it could be that. It, it could be another way of just saying there were things that you were doing that you're not doing now, and you loved to do them. That, when I read that, I always, in my mind, I say, I wonder what they did. It doesn't tell me. Yeah. What did they do? Yeah, so that, that's what we want to almost leave, leave open as we keep reading, because maybe the rest of the letters or the rest of the book will kind of fill in a little bit of the gaps for us. And so that, that happens a lot in the other letters. So, for example, in the next letter, the letter uh, to the church in Smyrna, the, uh, the very last phrase, the very last sentence of the letter says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And he says that, and then you go, <clears throat> that's why I have that underline there, under that one. It's kind of like, there's two deaths? Where in the Bible does it, does it warn us of the first and second death? I guess that's kind of a rhetorical question, but is, is there a place in the Bible that says there is a one death and then there will be a second death? Is that, is that, is that death later, or is it just two different kinds of deaths that, that might happen? They're not necessarily in order. You would think, though, that first means first and second means second. But in the rest of the Bible up to this point, there isn't any mention of a number of deaths. Am, am, I, am I incorrect? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of throwing it out there. but Could it be that the first death would be when we accept Christ? That part is one thing, and the second one, the next us now, until death, I'm asking. I, I'm not sure. <clears throat> well, maybe. Uh, the only thing is, he's telling them that if you remain faithful, you won't experience the second death. So it's not something that everybody will experience. There could be different ways that we look at the rest of the Bible and try to fit that in there. But up to this point, in terms of the revelation of God to human beings, he has never said there is, there is a, a first death and a second death and a third death. And He hasn't said any numbers. We don't, we don't have that. But in John, and later on in the book, he does talk about, he does talk a little bit about this, but he doesn't mention it here. We're kind of a little bit like, wait a second, what are you talking about? 
that, that's just an example of, okay, maybe we don't know what this is yet, but maybe the rest of the letter will give us a better, a better hint at what that might be. So he wants us to read the whole thing and then come back and read it again. Right? It's an invitation. There is an invitation here to keep reading when, he, when, you, um, when you don't tell us everything. Like, okay, and then, so chapter three, uh, the, the third letter, the church in Pergamum. He says, uh, you, I know where you live. You live in Satan's throne. It's like, wait a second. Since when is Pergamum the throne of Satan? When has the Bible told us that there's a city in, uh, in Asia that uh, is actually where Satan has his throne? There's nowhere else in the Bible that talks about Satan even having a throne or, or a place that he calls his own, his home, where he would then place a throne. You, you see what I'm saying? That, that there, we seem to be a, a little bit out of the loop of what's happening? When I read that, though, in my mind, it, it's kind of pushing it ahead of us. Am I pushing? Like in the book, pushing us forward. Yeah. Yes, it, it, that's exactly what it's doing. It's saying keep reading. Keep reading, because there's definitely more here than meets the eye. And so what we do see later in the, like, so if you want to, in relation to like the second death question, there is something later that seems to be connected to this, and it is in chapter 20, I think. Well, yeah, chapter 20. So if you jump over to chapter 20, we do get another mention of like first and second that maybe is related to this. So, chapter 20, this is a whole other vision later in the book, so let's not get too worried about what it is. I just want you to notice where it mentions the second death again. So I'm going to read, starting at verse 4, this paragraph. And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now the rest of the dead, they didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So there is the mention of the second death all the way towards the end of the book. And in in this vision, those who share in the first resurrection, they don't experience the second death. That's all that we get. And so there there could be um, a way for us to read this with maybe there's a first resurrection, a second resurrection, a first death, and a second death, and we're supposed to kind of put those pieces together as to who participates in what and what do they mean. That doesn't fully explain what what this is quite yet, but it does mean that it's mentioned somewhere else later in the book, and maybe if we get the whole vision down, this will make a little bit more sense. That's what I'm proposing. I don't want to put it all out there just yet because we want to read it all first together, and then work our way back. I don't want to sit here and kind of like fill in the blank answer kind of a thing. But I want us all to feel like we understand the vision better of the whole book. I know it's not fun to do that. I'm not just dragging you along and saying, I have the answer and you'll only get... That's not what I'm doing, but I do want you to experience seeing something. Like, oh, now I feel like I can make that connection. I'd like to do that with this word. 
overcome throughout all the letters, so all the unique challenges of each of each church, they keeps ending with the same phrase. Either it's the last thing said or the second to the last thing said. To the one who overcomes, and then there's a, the blessing of obedience. But he just puts out there the word overcome. Is that how your Bibles have it, overcome? Or do you, someone have a slightly different translation of that word? Does everyone have overcome it? Look at the end of any letter. There's usually to the one who conquers or is victorious. What do you have? Mine, every one of them just says that he, oh, I can see it right now. He whoever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, some Bibles do it. <laughs> some Bibles don't, they, they do have a uh, conquer. Uh, this says overcome. Donna, yours has Mine's conquer. Has conquer. All right, yeah. that, that, those are usually the two, the two options that people that translators go with. All right. We're going we're gonna to have to overcome this noise. So what does the word mean? Well, the word itself in Greek uh, is mostly used with military victory. So you're overcoming a foe. You're fighting a battle and you win. So therefore, you are victorious. So the word can be translated to conquer. Right, that makes more sense militarily. Um, or to be victorious would be a, another way to translate this word. This is where the word Nike comes from. This is the Greek word nikao. And so Nike chose that word as like to win. That's, that's the basis of that word Nike, just to put it into a modern context. <clears throat> Conquer, so, um, so I, he gives them a challenge most of the churches and then he just ends them all by saying you need to overcome this this challenge it, it really hits home with the message you have an obstacle right you have an issue you've lost you've abandoned the first love whatever that is and you need to overcome it and he doesn't tell us like wait what do you mean overcome is what right it leaves us with a question mark every church is told to overcome actually the message all of these are it's to all the churches. This is the message to to overcome. We get the same message. So, what does it mean then for the church to to be victorious, to conquer, and to win? Who is it conquering? Is it just conquering its problems? Well, the, the word denotes something beyond beyond that because it's used in the rest of the book. This is the word. So, if we go to the last letter, so number seven, which is uh, Laodicea. The last letter, uh, no, actually, is it that one? Yes, it is. There's an interesting statement in the last letter, in verse 21. Um, it says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Right, that's a big blessing. And it says, just as I also conquered. Like, hmm, 
So at the very last letter, we get this little hint as to what, a little bit more painting of the picture of the meaning of the word to overcome. The churches are told to overcome. And then it says, just as Jesus overcame. How was Jesus victorious? Well, that's what we're going to look at in the next two chapters. Look at, uh, this is definitely not a coincidence. So look at uh, chapter 5. And in this part of the vision, John goes, uh, he's taken to a different location, and then he starts seeing all these creatures bowing before God. We're at the heavenly throne room. And then he sees a book that is closed, closed, and no one seems to be able to open it. And it seems to be a, um, a book that maybe has like the deeds or the rights of the earth and to the people on it. And so no one is worthy to go take it. And that's very sad for him. So chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll or a book written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, who's worthy to, to take it, to own it, and then to rule accordingly? It's almost as if it's like the, like I said, the deed or the, the rights to being in charge. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and he can open the scroll. So we have a, another hint here. The lamb conquered and that gave him the right to look at the book, to, to take it upon himself, and now to use it. So how did the lamb conquer? When you think of Jesus' life, can, can we think of how this lamb conquered? He conquered death. Okay. He did conquer death. Uh, how exactly did he do that? Yeah, uh, well, he died. He died. He died and then uh, yeah. was risen again. Right. So, yeah, he, he, it's like he went through death. And that seems to be the image here, because look what he says when he, when he sees it <clears throat> in verse 6, the very next ver verse. Between the throne and the four living creatures, there I saw a lamb standing, and then it says, as though it had been slain. Let me write that. You need to really let this sink in. There was a lamb standing, and how was he standing? As though he had been slain. As though slain. Now, this part, as though, is actually inserted in all of our translations because it just says, a lamb standing, slain. But it just kind of makes, that picture makes no sense. Because usually when you're dead, you don't stand. Right. right? So the image is meant, is meant to be a little bit of a, what? A, a slain lamb that's standing? Paradox. It's a paradox. And so Jesus conquering, the word itself, it doesn't make any sense. He conquered death, but he did it by dying. Which normally means that you're defeated. Right? And so this is the beginning of, of, the, of the paradox of this word in the book, which is one of the main words of the whole book. 
we're told to overcome, overcome, overcome. And at the end, overcome just as the lamb overcame. And the way Jesus overcame his obstacle was to die. He died. And normally in human eyes, that would mean, okay, especially in the battle, you lose, right? If we're fighting over a piece of territory and you kill me, that usually means you take what's mine, you win. You're, you are the nikao. You are the victorious one. You overcame me. But, but in this case, John is almost flipping the meaning of the word on its head. It's the one who was slain who conquered. So let's continue to fill out the picture of that word. Because Jesus was slain for his commitment to the word of God, his obedience to God, the, the purity of his blood, in, in a sense. Those were all things that led him to his death. <clears throat> and as the word shows up again and again in the book, it, it paints an interesting picture for what does overcome mean in this book? So the first image we get to is the lamb who is standing dead. So he, he died and he surrendered himself. He was faithful to God and in a sense he, he conquered. Let's look at other places in this book where conquered shows up because I think it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us a meaning to this where it's going to really paint all of this in an interesting, an interesting light. What is John trying to tell the churches by using this word over and over and over and over and over again in each letter. Um, so we, we come across this word again in Revelation. In I do It's going to be in chapter 15. But um, actually, let's go to Revelation 12 first. No, no, let's go to 15 first because that, that might actually be more, more interesting. So this is going to feel confusing. Um, let's, ha let's have more fun with this. Let's be more confused. So let's start at 13, and then we're going to go to 15, and then we're going to jump back to 12. Okay. That I, I think the idea more is that you <clears throat> you have to read all this and notice where the words are, and it you, you just have to follow my train of thought for a minute. <clears throat> so, verse thirteen, and don't worry again. Let's not get too worried about fi figuring out all the meaning of, of these things just yet. First, we want to enjoy the vision itself and get caught up in in the vision in the in the ideas, and then it's later that we start trying to put some put this on the ground and what this is really mean like for us if there's timing or something. If we do that too quick, I think we miss this. So chapter 13, this is another vision. I see a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, like nightmare stuff. Something I don't want to read to my child before he goes to bed. And with 10 diadems on its horn and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, but its feet were like a bear, its mouth like a lion. So don't worry about it. It's just a monster, right? Let's not get caught up yet on the details. Now there was a dragon, and it, the dragon gave his power and throne and great authority to, the, to this beast. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth was just marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? So... The dragon is from 12. We'll get to that. That's Satan. But there's this other figure that the dragon works with and through that everyone is worshiping. Now notice this in verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. 
um, that, that word was given. We, we see this a couple times throughout the chapters. And the person in charge of giving, when this verb shows up, <clears throat> it's always God. God is the one granting the dragon amount of time, granting him power. God is the one who grants the beast power. It's called the divine passive because every time we show, we, it shows up in a passive by itself with no subject, God is the one sitting back going, yep, I'll let you do this for a bit. Yep, you can do that. Nothing is beyond him in, in this book. That, that's, part of, that's part of the meaning of this book is God is the one, the big guy on the throne that everyone's worshiping. All this mess happens under his authority. So uh, he was allowed to speak. The beast was allowed to speak for 42 months. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God and blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer. There's our word, to conquer them. So in, in chapter 13, part of the vision of the letter is that God has granted this monster a limited amount of authority for a limited amount of time and allows them to war with the saints and to conquer them. So just, just hold that in your mind. There's another vision in chapter 15 that at, at the same time, look at what chapter 15 says in verse 2. If you're not confused yet, just wait, you'll be confused. If you feel like you, you've got it, we just got to keep getting confused before we can get unconfused. Verse 2, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered, those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. So the beast is allowed to conquer for a while, and then in another vision, God says, yeah, but the saints, they conquer it, the beast, the dragon. They will also conquer they will be conquering each other. And uh, what seems to have happened with, with Jesus seems to happen with his followers. He conquered, and at the same time, he was conquered because he was killed. So he suffers a death, but his death seems to be what conquers the one who was conquering him. There's a play on the words, right? They're, they're not conquering in the same way. He's allowing the beast to kill the testimonies, the witnesses of Jesus, but it's in their death. By their very blood, they are going to conquer him. So <clears throat> let's slowly paint this picture. In chapter 12, we get a bigger, I think a bigger idea of this that begins to make more sense of the confusion that I just dragged you through. This, this vision is a very, a very helpful vision in the book to put things in order. So remember, we looked at this overcoming stuff. We saw that the lamb overcomes, and he seems to have done it by being killed. And we know that the driving force behind killing Jesus, Satan was involved in that, right? With Judas, he was there. And we're going to see in chapter 12 that there, Satan was behind Herod, trying to kill Jesus very early on. And that that, that, that attempt to kill Jesus, in a sense, is, is the beast overcoming, is killing him. But it was that very act that that overcame the enemy, that overcame death. So there's the paradox there that's happening. So the church is told in the beginning of the letter, you need to overcome, just as Jesus overcame. The church, at this point, being heavily persecuted. So we have this image of, of Jesus overcoming by dying, by surrendering his life. And later in the book, we have this image, 
the enemy has been granted authority to conquer the saints for a limited amount of time. But in the end, the saints will conquer the beast, right? And um, let's look at chapter 12. Chapter 12, I think, is going to be the same thing, but will help, I think, bring into mind why this word is so useful and makes sense, because there is a battle and a struggle occurring. So chapter 12, there is, let me summarize the first part of the vision. Um, There is this, he sees a big woman uh, in the sky, and um, she's pregnant with a, a son who's supposed to rule the world. I think that's easy to identify as, uh, as Jesus as the, the son, the, the, the little person who's going to be born and who's going to rule the world. People have, is this woman Mary? Is this woman um, the people of Israel? Like Whoever it is, whether it's one woman or it represents the people of God, um, we know that Jesus is the one being born. And he's coming out of the people, whether that's Mary or the larger nation. It, it, I don't think it matters as much. What's important is that um, there is a dragon who's trying to kill him. So I guess there's no way to just, I was hoping we could skip reading it, but let's just read it because I think that probably is better than me summarizing it and then missing parts and then going back. So bear with me as we just read basically almost all of 12, okay? <clears throat> a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun <clears throat> and the moon under her feet. So that's a very large woman. And her head, a crown of stars. And she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten hordes, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Uh, She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, which she is to be nourished for some time. We will get to these details and stuff. I just don't want you. I don't want us to get lost. But the big picture is, pregnant woman is is either Mary, or it's it's representing the rest of the people. Jesus is coming out of the people of Israel. I I think that's both are valid. I I would lean more towards the people instead of just Mary herself. Um, and the dragon, he wanted to kill the boy. And we know that Herod tried to kill all the boys. You know, it, it's not saying that Herod was Satan. It's just that. Behind all of man's motives, Satan was in there trying to get his way. There was a supernatural force behind the events that were happening in human history. It wasn't just that Herod was uh, egomaniac, which he was, but there was also a spiritual component where, that Satan was using his methods to do his thing. So that, that's one of the implications of this vision. It's, it's crazy to think that. Yeah. wise men go to see Herod to talk about the star and to, to hear and I never remember reading that they followed the star somehow end up with Herod they leave and the star comes back up and yeah. in my head I'm like Lord if you never let the star come down he would have never stopped at Herod and Herod would have never killed all the boys two and under so it's like you're saying Herod but it's Again, God allowed the star to come down. <clears throat> and, like, like that. Where's my 
hard to read that. It's hard to think yeah. that. Because you know, at the end of the day, he knew taking that star down was taking out all those. Yeah, that's part of the uh, what we come to face with in Revelation is like uh, we see all those plagues. It's not just, oh, there's evil happening. It's no, God says, you can go now. God releases the four horsemen. That's part of what we're going to see in Revelation is this thing. There's nothing that falls outside of his, of his command. So even the, and that's, this is part of the message to the church is you are being persecuted. You are in the synagogue of Satan. You have all these enemies. And not, this is not because God's not in control. It's the opposite. That's what Revelation is saying. God's the one doing this. Right? So do not fear. You know, I have this one. This one is a, is a powerful message he gives. I have, I have, the, I have the keys. I am the risen one, and so I will give you the crown of life. You just be faithful unto death. And part of the message is, that's how Jesus overcame. He didn't overcome by not dying and then beating up the devil. He overcame by surrendering himself <clears throat> to God's will and letting the devil do his thing. That's how God reverses the work of the enemy. But we're getting a little, a, a little ahead, but that, you're getting the feeling of what, that's part of what you get with the vision is behind that vision is, is that thing. God's like, nope. The reason he's here causing havoc is because I sent him down here. I cast him out. We're going to see that now there in verse 7. The vision continues. So he tries to kill Jesus. That doesn't work out. right? It seems to be a summary of Jesus is taken up to heaven. That's his ascension. This is what happens in between. So keep all what we just read from chapter 13 where God grants the enemy to kill the saints, and at the same time, he says the saints will overcome the beast. <clears throat> we get the bigger picture of the war that's happening from verses 7 and onward. There, there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was defeated, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. So the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, the one who was called the devil, the Satan. In case there was any confusion about who the dragon is, right? Over and over again. This is the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth. His angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before God. Verse 11, here we go. Here's our word. And they, the saints, the followers of Jesus, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they loved not their lives unto death. Again, the implication is they conquered him not by surviving and not by becoming like, we beat you, we killed you with the sword, Satan. The saints beat the, uh, the, uh, the dragon by dying, by remaining faithful to the word of God, even unto death. You see the, the play with, with this word now? Just as Jesus conquered by dying, remaining faithful to God's plan, which included his death, the people, the saints, are given the same mission. You overcome by dying, maybe physically. But that's, that's kind of the paradox <clears throat> that Dennis uh, mentioned the paradox is the saints overcome, but not because they go there and they throw a bunch of darts at him, you know, and they beat him up. It's they don't surrender their lives to the deception that he brings. And even when they're persecuted, they remain faithful to his word. So that, that's, a, that's a key thing. Verse 12. So rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. He knows that his time is short. Again, God sends him down. God even tells them, you can only do this for a limited amount of time. 
and he lets him wreak his havoc. He lets him go to war with his own people and conquer them uh, in one way, yet the saints, if they don't compromise, they will conquer him. Now, look at the last paragraph. This is where I want to try to piece this together in our limited amount of time here. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Presumably, I think, the people of God. So, so Israel. He tries to go after Israel. But the woman was given wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Uh, so, again, don't worry about the details. It's just God says, I'm going to prevent the dragon from annihilating her, which uh, makes sense. 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Gross. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth up, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And here, we get to the end of the vision. I think it's more helpful than, than trying to figure out all these little pieces. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her seed. Who are they? Those who keep the commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The followers of Jesus are the children of the woman. And I think the idea is she gives birth to Jesus, right, in the vision. He's caught up so the dragon can't get him. He's, he's defeated, in a sense, but then he's granted this time to go to war with his followers, the children of the woman. We are, in a sense, like his brothers, right, because of him. It gets kind of confusing, but I think you get the point, right? There is a battle going on, and now I think this word... Now that we read a little bit more of the rest of the letter, when we come back to the beginning and we see that the churches are told to overcome, 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 it's much more than just, hey, get your act together. You've got a couple of things. It's like you are in a war with the dragon. Does that, does that see, what, you see what I'm saying now? The rest of the book paints some of these gaps, fills in some of these gaps in the letter. What is happening with the, with the churches. Why are they told to overcome? Why are they told to become victorious? Because they are, for the time being, in a war with the dragon, the beast. And God has granted that beast a limited amount of time and a limited amount of authority to go after his own. And they are going to have to overcome him just like Jesus overcame him. They're going to overcome him with the blood of the lamb. And that doesn't mean they won't die. And now we get into a little bit of the first and second death thing. I wonder if the first death is our physical death. No one can avoid that one. Our bodies are going to die. But the second death seems to be the spiritual death. And if you, if, if you are with the Lamb, you have conquered the second death, right? The later vision says, if you participate in the first resurrection, which is the <laughs> resurrection of our souls, if you've been made alive, first death is nothing. That's just, a, that's just getting rid of what's holding you down, in a sense. You die, but then the second death, the real judgment before God, that one the saints do not participate in. So if you remain faithful, you don't experience the, the second death. If you overcome the dragon by remaining faithful to the word of God, you do not experience the second death. You might experience the first one. It might be painful. It might be awful. But Jesus says there's a glorious future awaiting. Um, so I'm trying to paint the picture that when you read the whole book together, Parts, different parts stick out a little bit different, right? So that by hitting on this theme, overcome, 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 the church is told to overcome. The, we follow the theme of overcoming throughout the book, and we get this 
bigger idea that we are fighting a battle against an enemy who's trying to deceive the world and he's doing it under God's authority and he's also warring against his own people under God's authority but God's authority also says that we can conquer him and we're going to see that the enemy chooses these different means in the book and so the parts of the vision in the future there's a great prostitute we read about a beast some of those some of those ideas show up here the church is trying to be seduced in the third and fourth uh, letter to the church by by a prophetess Jezebel and Balaam and that's the idea later in the book that sometimes the enemy tries to seduce the church tries to get her drunk not literally but just drunk with this world trying to distract the church trying to soil her garments and then sometimes it tries to threaten her physically and so we see all of that in the rest of the letter that I think brings the meaning to what we were asking about. What is, what is the first love? What is the abandonment of the works that they did at first? If we take the rest of the book as helpful for us, it's because the church is at war and there's different methods the enemy is trying to get in this battle. <clears throat> and one of them is for us to abandon our initial commitment to what we are here to do. Right now, I, I would say the easy answer would be the love that have been, has been abandoned is, is not so much all of my feelings. It's the works that I used to do, proclaiming the word of God, sharing the good news with people. I've kind of I've abandoned that. The church started focusing on, in Ephesians, the lampstand, the light church. It started focusing on just like purity tests for all the apostles, which were good. But it, it, it stopped. Maybe it stopped witnessing. Maybe it started feeling the pressure that it was beginning to uh, get from the Roman Empire because it started to, um, the Roman Empire, what they started to do was impose rules on business and commerce. And so if you did not pay homage to Caesar or the gods, you were kicked out of the marketplace. And so some churches were tempted or really pressured to compromise. Are you, is your allegiance solely to Jesus Christ? Are you, are, or are you willing to kind of like recognize Caesar as a, maybe a little God so that you can participate, you can keep your business alive and still feed yourself? That was the temptation for some churches. So whatever, we're going to see all these different means that the beast and the dragon are going to try to bring upon the, the woman and her seed. And the church is called to overcome. Don't give in. Don't compromise. We are, we are in a battle so that and I'm going to give you what I think the idea is his here with the church, is the church needs to see that the little battles that they are facing, so in the case of Ephesians, like, oh, I've abandoned my first love, realize that it, you, you aren't just randomly doing that, that, is that there is a demonic, satanic force trying to get you to compromise in all these different ways, either trying to get you scared, trying to get you distracted, whatever. That's what, that's the, that's what this word does to every church, overcome it. You need to go to battle with it. And you need to be ready to die if necessary for it. Dying in our spiritual, dying, not spiritual, but dying in our, in our death to ourselves or dying maybe, maybe physically. There's a, there's a call to kind of gear ourselves up with that mentality. Do you see what I'm saying? <clears throat> I kind of got excited and talked more than I wanted to. but So that when we look at these letters, it's much more than just, I have beef with you. I have beef with you here. You know, it's not just that. It's... It's trying to get the church to see, oh my gosh, the root behind some of this stuff is the enemy. And our great battle is to make the word of God known.
and he's trying to shut everybody up. <clears throat> and so Jesus does get pretty harsh with most of the church, uh, but he, it, overall he's trying to encourage them, and he is the, the grand priest who sustains the church. He can put oil back in the lampstand. If the church repents and accepts his correction, he can just fill that back up, make it shine nice and bright. But if it doesn't, Jesus says, then you're useless to me, and I'll just have to set you aside. You're going to lose your light. That's what he says to the Ephesians. So the, this first letter is the big shocker. Jesus says, if you don't, if you don't shape up, I, I will just get rid of you. Not in the sense of, I will toss you into the fires of hell. He'll just, I'm going to set you to the side, and you won't be useful to me. One of the practical ways I see that playing out is uh, the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, if you, if you read that chapter, um, they were messing around with communion. They were using it as a time to get drunk, to eat. And God's saying, this is awful. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. So God just says, you want to know why some of you are sick and some of you are dying? It's because you're treating this like it's a joke. And that's not a joke to me. So that's kind of God saying, I've taken some of you home early because you're, you're ruining my reputation on the earth. So th this is like, it, this is serious when God says, you are here to be my lampstand. And if you abandon that work, then I will remove the lampstand from its place. I'll remove the efficacy of your witness, and maybe I'll even remove you from the earth uh, sooner than, than you needed to. It, it's pretty strong stuff. So we will come back to the looking at these in more detail. I still want to, I just feel like, you know what, let's not skip the rest of the letters. Now let's, let's just enjoy them, work our way through them. Hopefully that painted the picture of what I'm trying to get at, which is we're going to read the whole book together. So if you want to read the rest of the book, that's great. But the rest of the book, I think, will, it'll all make sense more together. The more we get familiar with the book as a whole, it speaks to itself. It, um, like Claude was saying, this kind of pushes you forward to keep, to keep reading. The whole book is, is the letter to the church. And so this is just the introduction, and it gives us, it really, it really is meant to wake the church up. He who has an ear, bear pay attention. That's, that's, that's the um, repeated phrase. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Do we have any other questions or thoughts? I know our time is basically up, but... <clears throat> I put out quite a lot there in terms of a proposal for reading the book. So, if there's any questions about that, that's fine. Like, hey, what does this mean? What is? What are you implying? Any of those questions would be valid. If you guys have any. Did I scare all of you guys? You guys are so quiet. Did I press any buttons, or did I insult anybody? So it's a lot. Uh, if you take away anything, dwell on that overcome idea, the conquering, victorious. We're called to conquer with the blood of the lamb. <clears throat> it's just a lot to eat for one meal. It is, it is. yeah. <laughs> I, got a little, I got a little ahead of, of myself. That, and that's the difficulty with the book, is there's so many images, and uh, that's, why we, that's why you go, I was thinking, we'll, we'll go slow. We'll digest it better if we go slow. And so we'll... We'll take another week. We won't be here next week because uh, of the Christmas Eve thing. Uh, but we'll be, I'll plan on being back here on the 31st if you guys uh, are up for it. And so if you, in two weeks, if you want to do is go back to these seven, it's just two chapters. If you would 
go back to it and maybe list something like this for yourself when you read it. What are the key words? And then see if we could, without reading our Bibles next week, put the numbers up and then try to... Uh, I'll put the names of the church, but I'll, we'll see if we can almost by memory remember the distinct message to each church. How about that as a goal, as the challenge? We'll try to do that. We'll try to do that. That's your homework. All right. Well, then that's it.